Would you turn in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 11? Matthew, the 11th chapter. We continue a study that we began in Sunday school this morning from Matthew, the 11th chapter. May we bow together in a moment of prayer before we read from the Word. Our Heavenly Father, we come boldly into Thy presence this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thanking Thee that the way into the holiest has been secured through the blood, the blood of the crucified one. We thank you for the dramatic presentation of that precious Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world who went to the cross seeking that one lost sheep. Thank you for that precious message and song, both by the choir and then the message and sermon song. Today, Father, we pray for those who are very sick. Our hearts go out in gratitude to God for Charlie Wilson. And as a congregation, we hold him before thee, asking you to touch him with continued healing and blessing and raise him up, Father, to sit in the seats of government in this city according to thy will and plan. We thank you for a man who will not budge but whose faith is true to thee. We thank you also for Charlie Cowan making himself available for public office. We pray thou wilt bless him and guide him. And Lord, take care of all of the political arena of our city as men seek high office of responsibility. May the Lord's will be done in it. Guide us as we study the Word of God now. Open our hearts, open our minds. May we see Jesus and feel the touch of God upon us. May the Holy Spirit do His work of conviction and conversion. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Reading from Matthew chapter 11. Beginning with verse 1. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ceased commanding his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and to preach in their synagogues. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto them, uh, said unto him, Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out to see? A prophet? 
Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, who shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violence take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if ye will receive it, this is Elijah who was to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. This day has been designated as May Day Alert. I understand that instead of SOS, today people who are in distress get on a intercom system or a radio system and cry out, May Day, May Day, indicating there's trouble. We live in a time of trouble. We live in a day of tragedy. We live in a day of crises. Billy Graham said the other day, the shooting of the Pope was another evidence of the violent age in which we live. The subtraction of spiritual principles that has permitted moral decline all across the world. We live in a time of violence, a time of crime. And it takes no learned theologian nor newspaper correspondent to say to the people today, these are crisis-filled days. And we need to call a May Day alert. We need to say, we need to anchor our soul in a haven of rest. We need to anchor in something that will be steadfast and sure when all the tempests and waves are blowing about us. I can think of no scripture more appropriate than the scripture we've just read as we consider May Day Alert. Because the day in which Jesus was to be inaugurated was also a day of violence, a day of sin, a day when sin was on the rampant. And in the fullness of time, God called a man named John. He, protect, he put guardianship around his heritage and his birth. And God called John to be a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. There came a time in John's ministry after he had been preaching in the jungle of the Jordan, after all of Jerusalem and the Jews and the Pharisees came down to hear him, after he had won many converts and had cried out again and again, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. After one day he had interrupted his preaching and he saw a person coming down the jungle of the Jordan that the Holy Spirit identified in his heart as the Lamb of God. And John stopped and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And some of John's disciples began to follow the Lord Jesus. And John, being a prophet in the train of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and Amos, and Elijah, and all the other great men of God spoke to the arena of his day, whether it were the church scene, 
whether it were the synagogue or whether the political arena. Some have said preachers should stay out of the political arena and have nothing to say concerning our world. Those men that feel this way are not acquainted with Isaiah. They're not acquainted with Elijah. They're not acquainted with Jeremiah. They're not acquainted with Malachi nor John the Baptist. And there came a day when Herod the Great decided that he would have his brother's wife. And John the Baptist began preaching openly about Herod having his brother's wife. Now, I don't think John just simply went to Herod and said, I'd like to have a private audience with you and go in and just privately counsel him. If he had done that, we would never have known about it. There'd never been a word said about it. But John openly, blazonly said to the people, it is not right for Herod to have his brother's wife. As a result, they arrested Herod, uh, arrested John and put him in prison. And John the Baptist is now in prison and Jesus is still ministering. One day there came just a despondency to John's heart. I'm sure that everyone in this room has been discouraged sometime. Those who listen by radio have gone through depressed times of discouragement. And John was in distress. He was discouraged. He had introduced Jesus. He had said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Some of his own disciples were now disciples of the Lord. And John began to wonder, Is this Jesus really the Messiah? Or should we look for somebody else? And so he sent two of his disciples. He he called them to come to the prison. And he began to tell them his discouragement. And he said, "You, you go and you ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Or should we look for another? Now to get the full realization and impact of this, you have to realize that John is the one that introduced Jesus to the world. God had purposely chosen John to be the introducer, the forerunner he is called in the Scripture. He is the one that said to everybody, this is the Messiah, this is the Jesus, this is the Christ. And now John has begun to doubt. Have there ever come doubts in your life? Have there ever come periods of depression in your life when Somehow you didn't have the spiritual power and strength that one time you had. And you've allowed those seeds of doubt and question to choke out the power of the assurance of your faith. This happened to John. And so when the message came and the Lord was preaching and teaching and And they came and said, Sir, John is in prison. And he sent us to ask you, are you really the Christ? Or should we look for somebody else? Sometimes when we get down in a slew of despond, the angel of death has invaded our home. Our pet plans have been interrupted. There have come financial reverses. There's been unfaithfulness in the home. There's been rebellion in the children's lives. 
There's been misunderstanding of friends. We say, God, where are you? God, where are you? Do you not know what I'm going through? Many to whom I speak this morning have been there. Where is God? Where is God? Beloved, God is still on the throne. Our Father in heaven knows all about the falling tears. He knows all about the despair and discouragement. He knows, and He's with you. One day a great spiritual lesson was taught us in this auditorium. One of our soloists was singing, His eyes on the sparrow, and I know He cares for me. Why should I be discouraged? Why should the shadows come when his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he cares for me, and somehow a little sparrow had gotten into this auditorium through a crack in the window. And as she sang, that little bird flew from back there to the baptistry and somewhere perched up here. Everybody looked. And while she kept on singing, the bird flew back. And I believe God sent that bird to just remind us in tremendous spiritual truth if his eyes on the sparrow and no little bird can fall to the ground but God knows about it then he knows about the cares and problems in your life and mine he knows and he cares and so Jesus didn't berail John he didn't bawl him out. He didn't say, you go back and say, John, why are you doubting like this? He simply said, you go tell John that the blind are receiving their sight and the lame are walking and the poor are having the gospel preached to them. What a simple answer. And then... As those disciples of John began to leave, the Scripture says, as they were departing, he turned to the multitudes, and I think they still heard what he was saying. He turned to the multitudes and he said, What went ye out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. A man clothed in king's clothing. What went you out into the wilderness to see? In other words, he was saying, if John had been like everybody else, if he had been, quote, a professional, end quote, you wouldn't have bothered to go out to the jungle to hear him. If he had been like everybody else, why, there are a dime a dozen. John was different. And the reason you went out to the wilderness to hear him was because there was something dynamically different about his life. And Jesus began to commend John and hold him up as an example, and he said, of men born of women, none has been greater than John the Baptist. And this leads me to place upon our hearts this morning some things concerning John the Baptist, the mighty Elijah of God, now in prison. He had had an unusual birth. He wore unusual clothing, a leathern girdle and camel's hair. He had an unusual diet. 
I don't guess the WMU ladies would invite him home for dinner because they wouldn't know what to fix him. They wouldn't know how to fix a salad of locusts and wild honey. That's what he ate. He had an unusual calling. He had an unusual message. He just preached one message, as far as the Scripture tells us. Repent. 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 And when people are filled with themselves and filled with their sins, who wants to repent? If you're enjoying your sin, you don't want to repent. If you're enjoying your confusion, you don't want to repent. If you're enjoying your drink, you don't want to repent. If you're enjoying your gossip, you don't want to repent. If you're enjoying your hard heart, you don't want to repent. But John had a message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What a strange figure was John. Jesus commended him as though some of his own disciples or the crowd would think Jesus might discredit John because of his question. Jesus turned immediately to say, John was not a reed shaken with the wind. What is this imagery all about? Down by the Jordan, there were rushes that grew, little reeds that grew. And when the wind would blow, those rushes would blow and bow back and forth. And Jesus said, you see those reeds down by the Jordan? Did you go out just to see some man that had no backbone at all and blew any old way, whichever way the, the wind blew, that's the way he went? Is that what you went to see? That kind's a dime a dozen. Listen, men. Listen, women. When you find somebody that bows to every wind that blows, you don't go to hear them help you because they don't have any message that can help you. The great men of God through the ages have been men sometimes that stuck out like a sore thumb. They were different. And everybody didn't enjoy being around them. When they went out to hear John the Baptist, John said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, you generation of snakes and vipers? Suppose John had said, well, I sure do appreciate your coming to hear me preach today. That was so nice of you to come. I just uh, tell you, I want to make the service real brief and real short so you can enjoy, go home and get your beef roast out of the oven real quick. And I don't want to disturb you any, and I don't want to say anything that might offend anybody. So we'll just have a pretty little twilight service and, and enjoy everything. And, and I hope nobody gets mad at me today. Hope, 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 hope. John didn't preach like that at all. He railed on the people. Actually, he didn't care whether they came back or not. The next day, they came back again. And he railed again. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. He was saying to the people, there needs to be a change in your life. Listen, friend. The greatest description of being born again is C-H-A-N-G-E-D. Has there come any change in your life since you got saved? Since you made a profession of faith? Or did you just walk down an aisle and maybe shed a few crocodile tears 
and shake the preacher's hand, maybe kneel, get your name on a roll, and then go out and cuss and snort and swear and gossip and sin just like you always have. And God says, if there is no change in your life, then check up, there may not have been any repentance. And except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. God wants change. Now I want us to notice some things about John briefly. Number one, he was a man of purpose. He was a man of purpose. God put a hedge around his birth. He said to Zacharias when he was in the, the, as serving as priest, he said, uh, you're going to have a son, you and Elizabeth. And John, uh, I mean, uh, Zacharias said, why, 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 why? My, my wife is old and I'm old. We can't have a son. And God said, because you don't believe me, you're going to be dumb. You can't speak a word until after the birth of your child. And when the boy was born, they came along and said, uh, I guess we ought to call him Zacharias Jr. And uh, Zacharias asked for a paper and pen, and he wrote, his name is John. I got it from God. John was born by special promise. God gave John a call. He went out in the area of Tekoa, in the area above the Dead Sea, and there God dealt with him out among the ravenous lions. A few years ago I was in Israel, and I was in that portion of the land, and I asked the guide if there were any lions in that area. And everybody on the tour laughed at me. They said, why, there are no lions here in Israel. What do you mean? There have never been any lions here. And the guide interrupted him and said, wait a minute. He said, there are no lions now, but there used to be. And he, then he turned to me and he said, how did you know there were lions here? I said, because that's what the Bible said. Amen. The Bible said there were lions. Oh, he said, I didn't know that. Where is that in the Bible? The guide didn't know it. There used to be lions there. And, and John grew up among the lions. And Amos said one day, the lion roared, who can but preach? And John heard the lion's roar. And I'll tell you, he wasn't much of a spectacle. People didn't want to be around him much. But he, like Daniel, had a purpose in his heart. He had given his life to one supreme purpose, that of introducing the Christ. Oh, for a faith that will not shrink, though tossed by every human foe. John had received faith into his heart. And he was exercising that faith. He was a man who never forgot that God had a purpose for his life. And beloved, you cannot have a purpose for your life until you first met the life who is the purpose, Jesus. And when you receive Jesus Christ into your heart, he changes your mind and your life and your destiny, and you become a man with a purpose. I think one reason there's such shallow Christianity today is because many people have joined the church but never joined the ranks of heaven. Never really repented of sin. Never really received Christ. When Christ comes in and he becomes Lord, you don't get mad at people who talk to you about spiritual serious things. You don't get upset with people who say, let's live by the book. You say, yes, sir, let's live by the book. And there's an amen, a holy amen in your heart that says, I may not live that way, but I know that's right. 
The people that beheaded John the Baptist were not God's people. They were religious people, but they were not God's people. The people that crucified Jesus were not God's people. They were religious people. They were priests. They were Pharisees. They wouldn't do certain things and they would do certain other things, but they were not God's people. Are you part of the family of God? John was a man with a purpose. Secondly, he was a man who was peculiar. A man who was peculiar. John was a strange man wearing camel's hair and a leathern girdle and eating wild locusts and honey. What a strange character he was. You see, the Scripture tells us that when we come to Christ, we will be strange to the world, not necessarily by eating wild honey and locusts, but we will be strange. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the Scripture says, Be ye holy inasmuch as I am holy. God wants holiness in the life of his people. Holiness. Without holiness, you cannot see God. Now, holiness does not mean sinlessness. It means set-apartness. I have a watch. Uh, for a good while, I didn't have a watch. And I was in Chicago recently, and uh, my brother asked me what time it was. I said, I, I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't have a watch. Uh, he was surprised I didn't have a watch. Well, I'd found somebody that needed a watch more than I did, and so I just didn't have one any longer. And he gave me this. Now, it was his. He set it apart from being his to being mine. It's, it's my watch. It really is the Lord's watch, but it's entrusted to me to be used of my, by, my, by me. Now, this watch is sanctified. You mean it's holy, never, never sins? No, no, it's sanctified, though. It's set apart for use by me. When you are sanctified or holy, you are set apart for use by God. The other day you gave your heart to Jesus, you're set apart for God's use. You're not your own anymore. You're bought with a price. You don't even belong to yourself. Richard Oldham doesn't belong to Richard Oldham. He belongs to Jesus Christ. You see, we are not our own. And the conflict comes and the rebellion comes when we say, I want to be my own. I don't want to be God's. And that is rebellion. But when you yield your life to him and say, Lord, I want to be used by thee. I want to be yours. I want to belong to you. I want to be set apart for your use. Then God can use you. John was that kind of person, a peculiar person, set apart to the use of God, different from the world. That's the reason everybody came down to hear him. Jesus said, what went you down to the Jordan to hear? Uh, a reed shaken with the wind, somebody that just blow any old way? No, you went down to hear a Gibraltar, a rock that told you about your sins. You didn't like it, but you went down to hear him. And I want to tell you, when you are salty, 
and you're the light of the world. Men who live in darkness won't like your life. They just won't like it. They want you to come down to their level. Some of you work in factories where they curse and swear and swap wives and husbands and talk all kinds of dirty ways. Some of you go to schools where this happens. Some of you work in offices where this happens. And if you live a godly life, they'll be constantly trying to drag you, pull at you, pull you down. And if they can't pull you down, they make fun of you. They say, oh, he's a preacher. Or she's a, she's a holy person. Or look at that, that's deacon. That's what they say about you. Don't worry about it. That's what they said about Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Malachi and John the Baptist and Jesus. That's what they'll say about you if you live a godly, holy life. John was peculiar, different. That's the reason he had an impact. Thirdly, John was persuasive. He hated sin. His message was a message of repentance. Turn from sin. Alarm about the times in which he lived. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in those kind of times. I heard it on the news the other day. You probably did too. It was in the paper. A 16-year-old girl in Chicago became pregnant. No husband. She said it happened at home. Mother and daddy had gone to the movies. And when asked, why didn't you go with your mother and daddy? Oh, they went to an adult-only movie. Sin all around us. John the Baptist was persuasive in his message of sin, against sin. He was like Job who eschewed evil and loved righteousness. He was like Elijah who dared to go to Ahab and say, for three years it's not going to rain because of your sin and rebellion. John the Baptist was like Amos who cried out, for three transgressions of Damascus, the Lord will not turn away his punishment. For three transgressions of Tyre, the Lord will not turn away his punishment. For three transgressions of Judah, the Lord will not turn away his punishment. For three transgressions of Israel, and for four, God will not turn away his punishment. And the priests came and said, go to the hills, Amos. Preach your message down in the hillbilly country, but you can't preach like that here. And Amos was asked to leave because he took a strong stand against sin. What am I saying? John the Baptist, of men born of women, none greater than John the Baptist, John was a man with a purpose. John was a man who was peculiar. John was a man with a persuasive message. John was a, mess- a man who, hated, who paid a price. He paid a price. Just before this discussion of John the Baptist, we have the assignment in Matthew 10 of the first missionaries. And Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. 
I'm come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus made it pretty hard. He said, if you're going to live for me, there'll have to be a difference between you and the world. Amen. That difference starts on the inside when you receive Jesus as Savior, and little by little by little, it begins to spread to the outside. How far has it spread in your life? We find people all through the Christian economy at different levels. Some have just barely received Jesus, the seed of life inside, and that's enough to save you. That's enough to take you to heaven when you die. That's enough to cancel the burden of sin. That's enough to forgive you and cleanse you and make you acceptable before God because we're saved not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His grace which He earned at Calvary. That's salvation. But when that seed of God is lodged in your heart, it begins to grow. If it really is salvation seed. For example, you take some seed and drop it in the ground. You take a little petunia seed or a little grain of corn or some kind of wheat seed and you drop it in the ground. And it, it, it looks good, it looks alive and so on. You drop it down there and you wait. Well, it's exciting to think all oh, the beautiful wheat that we're going to have and the seed and the corn and so on, and you wait 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 and nothing grows. You immediately know something's wrong. Uh, that seed must have not been uh, fertilized or it must have been dead or something's wrong with it. It was just corrupt seed. Or something's wrong with the way it's growing or something. I don't know what. So it is with the seed of Jesus that comes into your life. If it is not the seed that produces change, little by little by little, it begins to spring up. And it pushes off, it sloughs off the old things. Well, I don't need that anymore. The man that used to curse and swear, well, I don't need that anymore. And it's, he slips and curses. Oh, man, I didn't want to do that. That, that offended something inside of me. I, I didn't want to do that. You have a, a get all upset temper-wise. Oh, I didn't want to do that because that, that, that's just not right with what's inside of me. Uh, you're out with a group and they start uh, telling dirty jokes and you laugh like you used to. <laughs> and then something inside just seems to embarrass you and you say, well, you know, I, I don't feel like laughing like that anymore. Because there comes a change in your life. The seed of God's Holy Spirit changes you. And this has happened, this happened to John. Others could leave Jesus. John 6, 36, John 6, 66 says, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. One of the saddest stories in Christian history is to read the stories of great men of God who have stood. And at one time they had a, a big group around them. And then when they stood for things that were 
powerful and strong and change. One by one, people began to leave them and go off and leave them. It's a sad thing, a tragic thing. But John stuck. He stood there and he stuck to the work. John, in the train of Jeremiah, Isaiah, Elijah, Amos, and Jesus himself, went to prison. And there came a day when there was a dance given. And friend, if there were no other reason for not dancing than just the scriptural comparisons of dancing, I think that would be enough for a spirit-filled person to say that settles the issue for me. There was a dance in the palace. And they, uh, oh, John was so, ex I mean, Herod was so excited about this dance that his, his uh, stepdaughter was dancing across the floor and, and it was a, an exotic kind of dance and he just got so aroused and excited. He said, why, anything she wants, I'll give her. And he was sort of half drunk. And she went back to her mother and said, uh, what shall I ask? And her mother Herod's new wife. John had said, Herod, it's not right for you to have her. And she never got over that indignity. John had embarrassed her. John had ridiculed her. John had been mean about her. She said, here's what you do. You go out there and tell the king that I want John's head on a platter. And when the king heard it, he was sorry, the scripture says, because he respected John. He knew John was right. But because he was so aroused and so had yielded himself to sensuality, he had John killed, beheaded. And John paid the price for his life and with his life. Now, you've heard the story of John. I'm not making up a train this morning and asking you, everybody that wants to pledge your head to get on this train, but I am saying, if you want God to use you, you need a purpose. You need a peculiarity about you. You need a persuasiveness about you, and you need to pay a price. And the first price is receiving Jesus, who already has paid the price on the cross for your sins. Receiving Him and asking Him to be Lord. I speak to students this morning. Many of you are going to give your life to the highest bidder. And you're going to hear a lot of bids for your life, popularity, pleasure, an easy way. I want to ask you to look to the cross and hear Jesus. Jesus, who died for your sins, hear him and invite him as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Our Father, we thank Thee for the opportunity of preaching the Word of God. We thank You for the life and ministry of John the Baptist. And we pray that the Holy Spirit of God will speak to hearts, that lives of great men might remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints. Help us to be willing to pay the price. And we thank you that the price of salvation has already been paid by Jesus, God's meek lamb who died for our sins and was raised again and has power to save to the uttermost all who will come to God by him. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand, please? We're going to sing God's invitation. I'd like to ask that no one leave during the singing of this invitation. This is God's invitation. But would you just face up to the question, what am I going to do with Jesus? First of all, what will I do with Jesus? Will I receive him or reject him? Will I trust him or turn away from him? You can't do both. If you've never received him as your Savior, you can today invite him into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. I urge you to do it. If you're already saved, the question is, are you serving him? Are you honoring him? Are you living for him? Would you say, I want to turn the sticks of my life over to Jesus Christ today and honor him and serve him and live for him? I want to be somebody God can use. There are people in this auditorium that need to take a definite stand for the Lord. Some of you have been saved, but you've never confessed him openly or you've never been baptized. There's a price to pay in service. You're not saved by being baptized. But if you are saved, if Christ is really in your heart, you need to take an open stand for him and say, I want to be somebody God can use. Whatever God says to your heart, will you do it? There's someone here that God has called to preach. Or God has called to be a special envoy for the king. Would you say, Lord, here am I, use me, use me. While we begin to sing, who will step out for the king, King Jesus? Will you come now?